I'm David Young. You're watching Anything is Possible. I'm Patrick Tsang, global citizen, investor. Join me as I talk one-on-one -on -one exclusively with some of the most influential people, sharing positivity, overcoming challenges, creating one world together. I'm Patrick Tsang. Anything is possible. David, thank you for uh, joining us on Anything is Possible. As thank you, you for having me. As you know, our mission is to share positivity, mm -hmm. to overcome challenges, mm -hmm. and to create one world. Mm -hmm. You're obviously a, a perfect person for us to interview. We're now sitting in Hong Kong in your lovely restaurant, Kind Kitchen, which is part of the... Kind Kitchen. <laughs> Be kind to every kind. Exactly. So Kind Kitchen is part of the Green Common um, group. Yep. You're the founder. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I have been a vegetarian for almost 20 years, um, have followed the news on sustainability, climate change, and you know, found out about 15 years ago that, uh, first of all, we have this global crisis that it will get worse and worse, and that our food choice actually plays a huge role on that. So since about 12, well, since about eight years ago in 2012, I founded the Green Monday Group um, to advocate a plant-based diet and really try to build the movement for everyone from Hong Kong, Asia, and global to get on a more plant-based diet. Um, that is one of the easiest way and also the healthiest way for us to help the world and to help ourselves too. Excellent. So David, tell us, right, right now we're in the COVID-19 situation. Mm -hmm. It's truly the great you know, global black swan event, mm -hmm. pandemic. And you're obviously in a space which is completely global. And you know, we are global citizens. And we have a lot of negativity toward, you know, from young people throughout the world, including Hong Kong. We've, we've had a pretty troubled 12 months. So as you're um, in your position as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and an environmental activist or advocate, as, as you would say, probably, um, what is your advice to young people during this difficult time? Well, first of all, I mean, it is a very difficult time. I don't want to make it, you know, sound like, you know, this is something that we can just easily get past it. This is arguably the worst crisis since World War II. Mm. I mean, from a pandemic standpoint, um, this is you know, the worst since you know, the early 20th century, um, over 100 years ago. So by no means is this easy. Um, it will take, you know, for every country in the world, for every company in the world, I mean, it will take a lot of effort to try to get out uh, from this crisis in, in this deep hole that we have dug ourselves. Now, I guess the first thing I would say that we need to learn, actually, is that this is technically not a black swan event. I mean, why we have this in the first place? Like before we talk about how to get out of it, is why we have this in the first place. Um, when we look at science, when we look at you know, all the you know, research scientific data, um, it is not exactly unpredictable that we get to this point. Um, we have global population reaching 8 billion. I mean, you talk about global citizen. Now, first of all, you know, we need to know how many people are on this planet. 8 billion right now, 10 billion very soon. Um, 100 years ago, we were only at 2 billion, less than 2 billion. The planet has never had so much population, um, probably ever. And we have one single planet Earth. So the fact that we are consuming so much um, we are 
enjoying so much, indulging in our lifestyles, it gets to the point that the planet will collapse. Um, and it is happening right now with climate, with the food system. And so if anything, um, well, life and the world is going to go through this kind of cycles. Um, that is inevitable. Um, whichever you know, company, whatever company, whatever entrepreneurs, these are things that they will go through in their lives. So in fact, I mean, I would say, I mean, if, if you can call this an advice is that, you know, we will be seeing more black swan events for the rest of our lifetime. Um, now, hopefully next time we can anticipate it better. Absolutely. So David, let's go back to, I guess, your earlier years. Mm -hmm. What's your relationship with like food when you were younger and the environment? Um, in my family, um, wasting food, like if we have at the end of a lunch or dinner, a meal, right? If we have food left on the plate, uh, my parents would really yell at us. <laughs> um, like in Chinese, there's a term called zito, mm. which um, you just don't leave any food. Like food is precious, of course, Absolutely. right? Um, nowadays, you know, people take food for granted. Yes. Um, you know, they go to supermarket, they go to a restaurant, it's like, oh, they order whatever they like, right? Um, we forget where food comes from. So in terms of my upbringing, number one thing is um, food waste is, is absolute no. I mean, we would get yelled at, um, and, and I'm glad we went through that sure. uh, you know, kind of family practice and education. Don't worry, we'll, we'll finish this before I go. This is very good. I mean, <laughs> if you don't finish it, I will. <laughs> now, the other thing is, I guess since very young, I mean, I was never too into eating meats. So there was this uh, one particular instance when I was probably six years old and, you know, following my mom to the wet market and, you know, there's, there's the meat counters and then the seafood sections. And it is very normal that, you know, they pick the, you know, the, f the fish are still, you know, really swimming in the tank. And it's very typical that they say, oh, this fish is particularly fresh. Let's take this one. So I witnessed the whole process of, you know, taking the, the fresh real fish out of the tank and they process it, right? Um, as a six-year-old boy at that time to witness that, that was quite traumatic. Sure. Yeah, um, and it just never felt right. So since then, uh, and many other occasions, um, I kind of have been reluctantly eating meats for a long time. And then finally got to, point, to the point of 20 years ago when uh, it just, I just reached a point when I say, you know, I don't need meats to, I, I just don't feel right and I don't need to eat meats anymore. Understand. So I understand you turned vegetarian. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure if it's vegan, but vegetarian in 2001. Yep. And then you started um, Green Monday, Green, Green Monday 2012 Green and, and so on. What, what led you to make that jump from being a vegetarian to mm -hmm. actually going into actual business of it? <laughs> Well, at that time, to make that jump, really, I mean, to not even 99% of people, to 100% of people <laughs> thought I was crazy. Um, which, to, which you are, but that's what's important to do such a thing. Well, I guess most entrepreneurs um, are viewed as somewhat crazy or completely crazy. Um, <clears throat> and I guess this is that contrarian mindset of entrepreneurs that you know, some, some would say visionary, but really it's just, you see something that you think is very important to do. You think this is 
in the case of green and sustainability, um, I've been reading about all these United Nations reports and you know scientific research. Now I study engineer, engineering, so I am a nerd. Um, <laughs> and I still remember the first time when I read the UN livestock report on climate change. It was a 185 or 89 page report. And frankly, it wasn't the most entertaining uh, materials to read. But I finished it in one shot, like whatever that was, like three hours, four hours. And to me, I was reading like a horror movie unfolding, sure. actually already happening technically at that time. It's just that people were not aware. What, what, what year was this? That was 2006. Six, okay. And you know, the CNNs, the New York Times reported it, but for whatever reason at that time, it just did not catch on. Now. I thought to myself, if this is something that affects the whole humanity and the whole planet, how can that not be a actually the biggest subject that everyone needs to be aware of and needs to take action upon? Sure. I think that's the key. Now, back in 2006, 2008, tw- you know, 2010, 2012, you know, all other industries, particularly the transportation and the energy sectors, the green segment was already coming along. So um, Tesla, electric vehicles, solar panels, wind turbines. So I was thinking to myself that if the green transportation was happening, what well, it was just starting at that time, and then the green energy sector was also starting, why shouldn't there be a green food sector if food is actually one of the biggest source of all sorts of sustainability problems. Um, And in Asia, no one was talking about this at that time. So the the common reaction would be, well, if no one is doing anything, then I should not be doing something too. But I guess it's that contrarian mindset of entrepreneurs that you just take it upon yourself to say, all right, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I will fail, but I'll take a crack at it. I mean, in fact, if this is something that is so much bigger than myself, this is really about, you know, planet, humanity, future generations, then, I mean, it is actually a responsibility to do something. It's not just a personal interest, but a responsibility. Absolutely. So, David, you're an inspiration to all of us. So, the journey, obviously, is a, is a difficult one. Um, did you get the support from your family? Or was there like your friend saying, oh, you're crazy and so on. You know, why should you be doing this environmental social venture, you know, venture stuff? Should you leave it to somebody else or were they supportive? Um, the person who inspired me most in my life um, is my father. Uh, my dad was a successful entrepreneur who built something out of nothing. Um, and later on in his life, he became a philanthropist. Um, and he was, become, he was more passionate about helping people um, and donating money than, than doing business and making money. Uh, he passed away in 2009. So uh, when I started Green Monday, he was not here anymore. Um, and till today, I think one of, the, one of the things that I wish could happen is he can see this uh, and he can be a part of this. So yeah, the, most, the person who inspired me most and who encouraged me most uh, was gone at that time, but his teaching and his spirit um, 
entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial experience, um, that really passed on to me. So yeah, I would attribute um, a huge part of you know, what I'm doing, um, the little bit of achievement from our group, um, I would say that um, I, I would attribute a big part to that, uh, of that to my father. So that's very inspiring. So David, it says here, Green Monday Ventures, your venture capital arm mm -hmm. of your empire, aims to invest in and incubate companies that deliver social and environmental good, along with competitive market returns. Can you tell us, talk us through how you balance between you know, doing social good versus against the traditional, you know, you have to be profitable? Well, doing good and doing well, I mean, and then business and charity. It used to be kind of, you know, two very distinct things, right? Almost mutually exclusive. Um, on one hand, you know, we should do our best to maximize profit to, to make every penny. And then on the other hand, you know, if, for those people who are kind enough, they say, well, let me give back. Now, that always feels a little bit schizophrenic to me. Mm. Um, why should I be working hard to make money Monday to Friday and then all of a sudden switch mode <laughs> and turn on the do good mode and then weekends or holidays you start to go on to these trips um, you know, to help people, um, to visit the underprivileged, etc. Um, when the term social venture or social enterprise first, I, I was first exposed to that term 2009, 2010, and a big part was because of my friend Francis, Francis Ngai. Um, and he spearheaded this organization called SVHK, Social Ventures Hong Kong. Um, that was the moment when I said to myself, this is it. You know, if we can combine do good and do well, if the business itself is about helping people. I mean, and in fact, there are a lot of companies, a lot of organizations that have been doing that for the longest time. So technically, this is not entirely new. For people who are in medical, uh, in research, hospitals, right? Well, they are a business. They need to be a business because they need to invest in equipment, they need to invest in talents, in, of course, you know, uh, building all the facilities. So there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's not like they don't charge you, but it is a do-good business. Um, school, Harvard charge very high tuition. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is about incubating and cultivating the next generation talents. So technically do good and do well are not really you know, a new thing. It's just that in the business sector, in the capitalistic world, we are so used to maximizing shareholder value that it seems to be put on the side. So the thought that we can combine the two of them um, with investment is called impact investing. And then with your own entrepreneurship journey, it's called social entrepreneurship. Um, that really, you know, just spiked my interest. I thought, you know, if I can achieve this, if I can select a path that can combine the best of both worlds, then, I mean, really, I mean, I think that's, that's utopia. I understand, David. So as you know, our family, we started off in the restaurant business. Mm. And I know that you're in the food tech business. Mm -hmm. We 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 you know investing in the early stage ventures. Mm -hmm. It's something that you know we're talking about offline. Yeah. Um, so I'm a big foodie, mm. um, and we're here in your restaurant, and there's a lot of quite innovative dishes. Right now, here we have. Uh, uh, I guess the camera can't see this, but this is a Hong Kong style Hong Kong tea. style old school like milk tea, which is like very strong, and you have like 
very artificial condensed milk. Yeah, loads of sugar. Loads of sugar, <laughs> and it tastes good, but like really bad for you, right? Right. So, um, and Chinese people, Asian people, especially, were like big on food. It's yes. part of our culture, right? And in my own family, like yours, you know, food was such an integral part of our family, and, and in most Chinese families, for that matter. And my my parents were not that expressive in the way they expressed their love. Mm -hmm. So what, how they expressed love was put the tastiest food on the table yep. and make sure you eat all of it. Right? <laughs> and if you try to, you know, swap the ingredients. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not pork. It's not this or whatever. Right. That's a very very difficult mindset to change. Yep. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, well, food is cultural and food is social. Um, so to try to ask people to switch to switch their diets, it really is almost like threatening their identity. Absolutely. Or in the story that you just shared, it's like threatening the, the family DNA. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, this is what, you know, your mom or your parents or your family prepare for hours or even for days uh, for a particular festival, for example. So. The idea is if we just ask people to give up meats, just to say, you know, beef is bad for the world, you know, pork and chicken nowadays with all the hormones and antibiotics um, bad for you, uh, don't eat any of these anymore, right? Eat vegetables and tofu. <laughs> I mean, that really doesn't work. I mean, um, you can share the most noble intention, sure. um, you know, and also all the scientific facts. Now, if people are so rational, then junk food would be gone a long time ago. Sure. There would be no junk food industry. Or cigarettes or alcohol. Exactly, yeah. right? Um, but at the end, with consumption and with human behavior, we are not rational. I mean, we are not rational. I mean, we are impulse-driven. Absolutely. We are emotion-driven. Like, let's say on a Friday or on a weekend, you know, we want you know, when you're binge watching Netflix, for example, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna just eat, you know, kale <laughs> and salad. You want chips, you want, yeah. you know, all the junk food with yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so the idea with meat is that, is there a way to decode, to break down meat, to really think about, you know, what is the muscle, what is the fatty, what's the amino acid inside the meat that create the meat experience Experience sure. and can we can we reproduce that but with plants-based sources? I think that concept really, I mean, it disrupts the whole idea that you need to slaughter an animal to get beef or pork or chicken or whatever meats you know people want. But see, let's reconstruct this, and that is incredibly exciting, and sustainability. And innovation, to me, they must go hand in hand. Um, you cannot just tell people, uh, don't use electricity, don't drive, swim from Central <laughs> to Chimsa Chui. <laughs> you can. I mean, we are in the 21st century. We are not going back to the Stone Age. So let's innovate. Let's evolve to a better way of living and a better and more sustainable way of, of living. So um, the idea is sustainability, on one hand, is something that we must do. But in fact, I think it generates the biggest opportunity for innovation. So David, I, I totally agree with you here because in, in entrepreneurship, you, you mentioned two things. One is disruption. Two is innovation. 
So as an entrepreneur, um, how, how, how are you as an entrepreneur see how important is the disruption and innovation to becoming a good entrepreneur? Now, of course, these words are being thrown around as buzzwords these sure. days, right? So everyone is saying they, they are disrupting something. Um, you know, they want to you know, disrupt the whole sector of this, of that. Um, now, you got to go back to the roots, which is what is the need for disruption, right? What's wrong? What is broken? Um, it's not simply like I want to disrupt for the sake of disrupting. Um, so look at all the problems we have in the world, and there are many of them. <laughs> there are many of them. Uh, every day, you know, with all the growing circumstances and growing uh, all the changing conditions around the world, there are a lot of things that we, I mean, that need to be fixed, that need to improve. Uh, so, I guess it's very strange that on one hand, from a technology standpoint, the world is evolving, but on the other hand, in terms of all the problems that the world is facing, it's also growing. I mean, so I mean, on a daily basis, these kind of kind of struggle. Is happening on an ongoing basis so yeah I mean disruption innovation really think about like genuinely what does the world need what are the global problems that people may not even be aware of rather than just to follow what other people are disrupting um, chances are you know if a lot of people are talking about a certain thing already or a certain segment and you get into it um, by default it's too late um, because there are a lot of people who have been, you know, building things, who have been laying the groundwork, um, and and by the time you say, oh, you know what, that seems like a hot sector, let me get in. Maybe it's too late. Understand. So, David, one of my role models is uh, Bruce Lee. So, adapting to situations yeah. is very important, yeah. not just in life, in entrepreneurship, business, and so on. So, yeah. in Green Monday, during this difficult time of COVID. Has it affected your business? And what strategy and tactics have you applied in order to navigate the COVID experience? I think nowadays with any business, um, any executives, um, to be nimble uh, and to adjust on the fly, I mean, it's almost a requirement. Um, things are changing so fast, external factors, internal factors, etc. cetera. Uh, in the case of COVID, it, you know, everything we know is thrown out of the window. I mean, hospitality, airline industry. I mean, there's so many industries in the world. Entertainment, um, all severely or completely destroyed by COVID. Now, in our case, um, obviously, any restaurants are, you know, globally have been shut down or mostly shut down because people have to social distance. We have been working both on the retail channels and the F&B food service channels. And by default, if people are not eating out, then that means they are cooking you know, at home or they're eating in. So on one hand is how to pivot um, to a much more retail-centric model, online or offline. But on the other hand is actually to use this opportunity to say that, well, I mean, people finally wake up to this problem. Mm. Um, this is the window of opportunity that is officially opening for people to understand why alternatives are needed. Now, we read on the news everywhere, you know, US, UK, Germany, Australia, Canada. I mean, all these major meatpacking uh, companies, meat, meat companies, they have a huge outbreak 
in their facilities and you know meat companies have to be shut down because we're talking about tens of thousands of people uh, being affected or infected so these news are now on front page people realize how vulnerable how fragile or even how broken the food system is um, in the case of China I mean uh, we're talking about you know the head of the government uh, really now coming out to say we should not and cannot waste food anymore um, food crisis is here sure. coming from you know the whole government telling us that we got to change the way we behave so in with our business with our group uh, we see you know at the beginning of of course it was a very frightening moment um, this is something that no one has dealt with before to that scale um, but then once we kind of settle down after a few weeks we say let's focus and let's really think about how we can use this um, not not to maximize the opportunity of course we don't want the COVID situation to deteriorate but at the same time knowing that this really could get worse then what are the things that we need to do understand so as an entrepreneur our job is to solve problems right so what we've seen is we've seen a, in some instances in, even in some of your businesses we've seen a big surge and increase in yeah. takeaway and delivery yeah okay so that's a good thing because people are staying safe but on the other hand, part of the problem is packaging, yeah. cutlery, plastic, paper, and so yeah. on. How do you go about solving this? Now with sustainability, I mean, packaging, plastic, waste reduction, food choice. I mean, not, no one company can do this alone. So a big part of Green Monday is besides our food innovation, besides our own business, is we want to be a part of catalyzing the ecosystem. So working with other entrepreneurs and companies uh, to think of ways to, you know, reduce waste, to reduce um, any disposables um, that will be bad for the future, right? Uh, so this is a work in progress, and we want to help lead that as well. So, David, with the rise of the coronavirus mm. and future pandemics, mm. um, obviously, we let's take an example of China. Mm. Um, are there new innovation and technologies coming in place to try and have less meat products in order to avoid more infections or spread of new diseases? Well, besides coronavirus, indeed, there are a lot of diseases happening right now. Uh, the one that has been devastating the hog industry in China, of course, is African swine fever, uh, which has been happening for the last two plus years, uh, killing hundreds of millions of pigs. Um, and that's a big reason why pork price has gone up sure. so much uh, over the last 18, 24 months. Now, the good thing, the encouraging news is that there are so many ag tech, food tech companies and entrepreneurs and scientists who are innovating towards this goal of creating more alternatives, whether it is meat or dairy or other better for you products. So it is a very positive sign and trend that is happening. Uh, again, COVID uh, ironically playing the role of opening this window as people decide to switch. Again, the idea is they don't need to go completely vegan. Um, our group is called Green Monday. Sure. So we are advocating people to go at least one day or multiple days per week. But it doesn't need to be a binary choice. So I think the next you know, three to five to seven years, we're going to see massive shift globally and then in China. 
Now, China is obviously a gigantic market um, and with long history of tradition and practice. I think of all the countries in the world that uh, need to change uh, and we need to do the most work in, uh, China has to be one of them because if we need to solve this global problem, China with the population and with the economy that it has uh, is going to have to play a huge role. So entrepreneurs, you know, general public and government together, we need to work hand in hand. So David, tell us a bit about your, your, your baby Omnipork. Mm. Wow, um, Omnipork, I mean, I just, I'm very humble by the change and the impact that Omnipork has created in just two years, a little over two years. When we first sat down at the first meeting that was back in 2016, to incubate the idea of Omnipork. Um, to me, because I'm Asian, we're based in Asia, pork is the most consumed meat by far. Sure. Um, in North America, it's chicken and beef. Sure. Um, but in Asia, it's pork, pork, pork. Um, everything is pork. Um, so to me, when we sat down with the scientists that we have now on the team, and back then we were you know, brainstorming, you know, what are the things we want to create um, and why? It was actually very easy when we were on the whiteboard and I just said, well, number one, pork is the most consumed. Uh, second, uh, I miss dumplings and xiaolongbao. <laughs> and of course, as a vegetarian, I've been eating, you know, just mushroom, vegetables, dumplings, which no disrespect to that, but it just feels something is missing. Sure. Um, the when, meat. <laughs> the meat. <laughs> you know, the protein. The protein. So, um, I don't miss meat necessarily, sure but not. there are certain food, and these are cultural to us, right? Um, that when you walk into a dim sum restaurant we, in Hong Kong, how can you not go to dim sum? But I think 80% of dim sum is pork, right? Yeah. Like, I always like to say, like, the shrimp dumpling, which is the most iconic, yeah. one of the two or three most iconic dim sum. Ha gao, right? Mm. Shrimp dumpling. But actually there is a lot of pork inside, which is used as kind of the binding sure, um, for the shrimp. So even though it's called shrimp dumpling, it's actually shrimp and pork sure. dumpling. Yeah. So that was, that was the beginning. Um, and then we officially unveiled Omni Pork in 2018. Now I have so many people, you know, who are posting pictures, who are sharing recipes um, and like even the biggest meat eater, the biggest you know, carnivore that you never expect them to even attempt to go green, they are saying that, well, they feel great after eating Omnipore. It's super easy to use um, nutritionally. Of course, it, there's no cholesterol. It's much lower in fats, calories, um, no hormones, no antibiotics. Um, a lot of moms uh, are using this to cook meats you know, for their family. So, and it is now in over 10 countries. Um, China, China market, Taiwan market, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Japan, Thailand. And recently we got into UAE. So actually there's a major coffee chain called the Coffee Company, which is now using Omni Meats. So in Muslim countries, we don't call pork, it's Omni Meats. And they're using it in multiple dishes on their menu. Uh, in China, we're working with Starbucks, we're working with uh, Wagas, a major chain called Xiang. Uh, which is a wonton chain. Um, so many different brands. Uh, Hong Kong, Wan Chai Ferry, which is the 
household name when it comes to frozen dumplings. They are collaborating with us to use Omnipok as a co-branded product. Um, in Taiwan, we're Family Mart uh, and Bafang Yunji, which is another major dumpling chain. So to see such huge penetration in very short time, it just shows that you know, whatever people who had doubts early on, which is you know, vegan meat, what is that? And would that even have a chance in the mainstream market? I think we are you know, breaking all of those stigma and you know, really turning skeptics and doubters into believers. That's why you're on Anything is Possible. <laughs> Indeed, it was perceived as completely not possible. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, that's uh, very inspiring. I think one of the things that I really I got touched upon when I read some of your stuff on, online is when you created the, in Hong Kong especially, you know, in the Cha Cha Neng, the, the Hong Kong style ca canteens. Yeah. So one of the favorite dishes is the Cha Da Min, which yeah. is the instant noodles with uh, egg and luncheon meat. Yes. So luncheon meat for the audience that don't know is a, a sort of an Asian or Hong Kong stroke Chinese equivalent to spam yeah. that they have, right? right. Tell us about that, that experience. Yeah. Um, I was sharing about how on the drawing board on day one, you know, if we need to create a meat analog, the first would be dumplings, you know, the minced pork that we use in dim sum and dumplings and baos. The other item that I put on the whiteboard was luncheon meat. <laughs> I think it really is childhood memory for so many people. Um, and actually, even right now, I mean, there are people who eat right? Luncheon meat, instant noodle, yeah. like four out of four or five times a week. I mean, it's like it's like the, the default choice sure. when you go into a Hong Kong style cha chan tang. Yeah. Um, but it's also well known. Everyone knows that it's evil. <laughs> it's bad for you. Yeah. It's carcinogenic. Yeah. Um, it causes cancer. Um, so, I mean, the Omnipot luncheon really, I think, is the ultimate example on why plant-based meat is really such a breakthrough is that you know it doesn't need to be oh you are vegan and you eat sure. meats right we are creating a new category of food that can be equally satisfying that can fulfill your craving but it truly genuinely is better for you um, it doesn't need to you don't need to add all the you know really junk ingredients and all the chemicals behind it, right? Um, natural plant-based ingredients can turn into the luncheon meats or whatever form of meats that you know, we have grown accustomed to uh, and we fall in love with. So yeah, I think for Hong Kong, for Asia, um, you know, Omnipot Luncheon is the mega blockbuster product that really will change habits, will change mindset, and ultimately will create a lot of impact for people's health and for the planet. Understand. So David, um, as you know, in Anything is Possible, one of the missions is to create one world together, which means that we don't want divide yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. So can we use Omnipark or even Green Monday, the mission, vision, the products, the services into bridging the gap between East and West? Well, Green Monday uh, truly is aiming to be one of the most inclusive platform. Um, we do not need to create you know, binary 
kind of divided world. As the name Green Monday suggests, you can go green one day, five days a week. You don't have to do it on Monday, you do it on weekend, you know, whichever day people like. Um, but it doesn't need to be a meat eater versus a vegan, you know, debate or kind of even enemies. Um, so with Omni, also that's another name, you know, why we use the word Omni is Omni means all, right? It means all. So this is a new product that caters to everyone. You can be a meat eater and you can still enjoy your meat. And you can be a vegan and you can totally enjoy, you know, Omni everything. That's also why we are called Omni. So with our name, the Omni Foods series and then Green Monday, actually the, the mindset behind these brands really is to create one world or a world that everyone can enjoy. Um, it doesn't need to be antagonistic. It doesn't need to be, you know, confrontational. You know, we can be on the same agenda, uh, but at the same time, you can still enjoy your kind of food. I can enjoy mine and we can eat and live peacefully uh, and harmoniously without hurting animals and planets. So, you know, we have been striving towards that since day one and we hope to continue this momentum. Understand. So regarding uh, culture, different mm -hmm. cultures, you mentioned earlier, obviously Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, Thailand, Japan, and then recently UAE. How do these different kinds of, I guess, cult I, guess I think most of the Asian, Southeast Asian yeah. countries, it's very Chinese centric, yeah. right? But in terms of the UAE, for instance, yeah. it's very different to us. How do, you, different. How, do, how do you adapt the, you know, the product and the business model? With food, how to adapt to the local market truly is critical. The way Singaporeans enjoy chicken is not the same as how Beijing people enjoy chicken. Even within China, northern, southern, sure, yeah, eastern, yeah. western. I mean, dan dan mian, you yeah. know, the dan dan noodles in Shanghai is not the same as the one in Chengdu. Yeah. You know, so localization, um, both in terms of flavor, palate, um, cooking methods, and presentation, everything we need to take into account. So when we say that we are in 10 countries, 20 countries, you know, all these different markets and culture, working with local team and local partners uh, and really be, be, be a listener, to be very open-minded about what makes sense for their market is key. So, you know, there are some products that are kind of one size fits all, but there are also some that you really need to tailor. So, I mean, I don't need to explain that. I'm sure the McDonald's in India, of course, they don't sell the typical hamburgers or Big Mac, right? Because obviously beef is not, um, you know, the meats that they consume in India. So food industry, no matter how technologically advanced, uh, you know, with food tech and all this science becomes, we still need to get back to on a layman level, um, what do people expect and how do we meet them where they are? Understand. Just on on a side note, my my favorite tanami is the one in the CX, you know, business <laughs> lounge. <laughs> yeah, right. I eat a lot of right. that. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> go, So uh, this question is more on social impact. Yeah. So obviously, Green Monday, you're on a big mission. Aside from the Green Monday um, initiative, is there any other social impact preferred projects that you're looking at? Well, I. 
on a daily basis, uh, I'm privileged to encounter a lot of entrepreneurs and companies who are aiming to do good for the world. And they are working on some very exciting things. So food tech and ag tech, of course, are two major sectors. But at the same time, green energy, uh, green transportation, you know, desalination of you know, water to make sure that we fulfill you know, the water scarcity problem that is already happening right now and going forward. It will only become more severe with climate change. So I look at companies and entrepreneurs across all spectrum. Um, anything related to better environment or tackling climate change, uh, I'm always curious. Um, it's not just to say, okay, I'm in the food industry, I'm in the you know, food tech, ag tech industry, and that's why you know, I would stay in, uh, within this boundary. No, I mean, we're, we're talking about this problem. And now I may not be, I clearly I'm not an expert in all the different fields, but to always be open-minded, to always be curious, um, you know, that's just, I guess those are typical uh, traits or personality of, of entrepreneurs. So Absolutely. That's, that's who I am as well. Um, and we are trying to address the big problem that it will take a lot of talents and a lot of innovation to to try to address that. Absolutely correct. So in not just entrepreneurs, but leaders, not just in business, but in, in all senses, mm -hmm. you have to stay curious, be hungry, yes. and keep learning until the last day. So we're getting to the, the latter part of the interview. Mm -hmm. This is the more interesting stuff okay. and more for you to you know show to our audience. Right. What's the most significant setback in your life? I have too many setbacks. <laughs> okay. um, don't know where to start. Uh, now, the, of course, now looking back, every setback, if you really study and learn from it, it actually is the most valuable learning. Uh, it was painful at that time. So, I mean, I, 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 there's so many setbacks. Uh, I started my first business when I was 23. It was a software startup. Um, it was the late 90s, um, a year and a half after I graduated from college. Um, I was 23 at that time and you know, full of enthusiasm, full of energy, and of course deeply inspired by all the tech entrepreneurs of that generation. And, but I, had, I didn't know what I did not know. You know. As an entrepreneur, as a business person, uh, just so young, honestly, so young, 23 years old. So it only lasts for about two years, and as the tech bubble burst, we burst too. You know, we were gone. But that those two years became my personal MBA. That was my best executive or entrepreneurship training. I actually went on to really reflect every chapter of my entrepreneurial journey of that particular company. And just say, you know, looking back, you know, did I make the right decisions, um, you know, every step of the way, and start to reflect on it, and said, next time if I have the same opportunities or circumstances, what would I do? So, with any person, not even entrepreneurs, but any person in general, I think, uh, again, life will be full of, full of ups and downs. Um, and going forward in my life, I will continue to encounter setback. So just pick up the ability to learn from it 
and just move on quickly, uh, not to dwell on it. And the key, the key is really separate the concept of failing at something versus me as a person is a failure. Those are two different things. Absolutely. And um, people love to, you know, oh, you know, David, you screwed up. You know, you are such a failure. No, David is not a failure. David failed at that certain task. So even if someone say that to you, you got you to gotta keep those in perspective and you got to remind yourself that, no, I am not a failure. I fail at that particular task and I need to learn from it. So don't be overly discouraged or you know, really get frustrated about something. Uh, kind of keep, keep that uh, kind of that mindset that it's okay. I mean, every person in the history of the world has failed countless times before they hopefully get to that success that they aim for. Super advice. So David, what about, can you give us an example of how you turn the negative situation into a positive situation? Now, I've picked up this ability now that um, when I come across a crisis, a problem, um, I almost automatically think from a positive point of view, which is, okay, yes, this is difficult. I mean, not to say it is not difficult, but what are the opportunities that come out of it? I mean, everything has two sides. Everything has two sides. So find, no matter how difficult it is, find that other side and try to do something about it. So, I mean, nowadays, not that I would welcome problems. I mean, of course, people would, you know, we always like to have, you know, kind of just, you know, more normal days, right? But the reality is in life and in business, um, actually every day is loaded with uh, problems and difficult situations. And you just think, okay, fine. If this way doesn't work, let's find the other way. And what do you need to have a winning mentality? I don't, I don't look at things as winning um, or losing necessarily. Um, I think try to make progress every single day. I like to think and focus on the present. Rather than saying, oh, 10 years later, of course, of course we have a big objective, a sure. bigger goal in mind. But once you decide which major path you're going towards, then I focus on the present. And if I am improving every day, then chances are I'm getting closer and closer and closer to that end goal that I want to reach. And by the time you reach that point, then you emerge as the winner. But really, on a daily basis, is focus on the present moment um, and think about how to improve myself and my company. David, what principles and ethics do you live by and how do you uphold them? Treat everyone equally. Treat everyone the way I want to be treated. Always think in the other person's shoes. Um, if you don't enjoy something, then don't do it and don't impose it upon other people. I am Buddhist and I don't see Buddhism as necessarily a religion. I see it as life philosophy and life wisdom. And one of the most central learning of Buddhism is just to be compassionate to all beings, to everything, to have that good intention uh, towards everything you interact with, every person you interact with. Now, 
That doesn't mean, you know, if someone wants to take advantage of you, then you still be nice to that person. Of course, you need to combine, you know, wisdom with compassion. But at the end, I think, you know, we are talking about a life journey where, you know, we are on this ride to maximize the meaning and joy of life. So just to, you know, live in the present, treat as many people nicely as possible, um, and Ultimately, that is the most joyful and meaningful life. So those are the basic principles I live by. I just want to say that, you know, by the day when I leave, you know, when I complete this journey, this life journey, I look back and say, well, I mean, I did something good. Um, I made some positive contribution and it was a worthwhile journey uh, for the world to have me during this time. And you're, you're embarking on such a journey. But on, a, on another note, what's your biggest regret? Well, my regret, um, actually, if anything, is why not be even more bold <laughs> in my adventure? Why not take more risk sure. um, early on? Don't play by the rules. By default, I mean, the world you know, is changing every day. By default, if we want to innovate if we want to create something of value it means breaking the rules okay breaking the status quo so doesn't mean you become you know a a rebel but from a mindset standpoint challenge the status quo think more aggressively think more uh, proactively be an even bigger contrarian Um, so if there's any regrets, it would be that I was not contrarian enough. Um, I should have been even more bold um, to, to do something or to act upon something. I think you're already, you know, very contrarian. Okay, so keep up the good work. <laughs> um, so obviously you're talking about your Buddhist. Um, we're not going to, you know, again, the AIP spirit, we don't, care if you're yeah. Buddhist, what gender, religion, yeah. it doesn't matter. But we're all human, obviously. Yeah. Do you believe in luck? Of course there's a luck factor, but I also believe that we create our own luck. With, you know, my, my mindset is always that, you know, you cultivate the seeds of luck. Whether that means, you know, helping people, whether that means learning, you know, you cultivate the seeds of luck and then at some point, you know, you know, they all of a sudden one day will get to the point that, wow, you know, um, it actually opens up an opportunity. Um, and then you are at the position to seize that opportunity and you become lucky. So, you know, whether it's, it is with people or with opportunities in general, um, I focus on cultivating and planting those seeds of luck and ultimately you know one day you're like oh you know uh i can take advantage or i can seize the opportunity of it absolutely so david you mentioned earlier in one of the answers not a not at length about your father Mm. being your role model yeah please who's your role model if there's anyone else apart from your father well there are a lot right i mean for any entrepreneurs you know steve jobs has to be an inspiration uh you know in all ways um, there are so many people um, that inspire me. I mean, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, leaders, um, 
and they uphold the value and they uphold that spirit of excellence and the value that humanity uh, should be pushing forwards. Um, it is in the challenging world that we live in, um, actually those values becoming tougher and tougher to come by. So it is not just successful people who, you know, who are rich, who have big business conglomerate, but it's the people who are upholding the standard and the decency and the ethics of humanity. Um, so there, there are many of them. Um, I am an avid reader. Uh, I, there's nothing that I enjoy more than you know, on a weekend, particularly Sundays, um, when I will, regardless of how busy my schedule is, I will still carve out the time to just you know, have some me time and read. So throughout the last 20 plus years, um, I actually read more after I graduate than when I was still a student. I'm a more uh, studious learner now than when I was in school. So countless role models and countless teachers. Excellent. I think we all have to obviously learn from each other. So from AIP, one of the questions we always ask mm. is, what's your life ethos, David? Now, uh, it is my ethos and it's also the ethos of Green Monday, uh, and that is to make change happen, make green common. Uh, and by change, of course, it's positive change. Sure. We need to engage everyone. We aim to engage everyone to be on this positive journey. So we'll do our best. You're on the great journey already. So mm -hmm. obviously your father is a big, inspiration to yeah. you and he did a lot of philanthropic deeds and you're doing something quite you know um, much bigger than yourself because you're helping humanity what's the legacy you want to pass on to the next generation what is the legacy i want to pass on on a personal basis i don't think about legacy as i said earlier i focus on the present moment um, i'll let others others decide what David Young's legacy uh, should be and will be. If I am using every single day and, and maximizing the meaning and maximizing the impact, I feel good about it. I feel that I'm not wasting you know, a second of a day uh, to make a contribution. And that to me is already the best feeling. Um, and at the same time, balancing work, balancing family, uh, making sure that I also don't forget, of course, to take care of the people that are closest to me. Um, and yeah, that's it. I mean, so legacy is not something that I'm concerned about at all. Um, people will decide on that and I focus on the present moment. That's, that's great. David, um, what about, what's the next big thing for David Yeung? Well, is to scale our impact. Uh, the next big thing is to continue on this path that we have been on for the, next, for the last eight years uh, and make sure that the next eight, the following eight years uh, and many more to come, scale the impact. Um, we are very lucky to be in the position that we have built a very good foundation uh, that impact and change can be scaled in a big way. 
So the next big thing really is continue on this journey, um, accelerate the momentum even more, um, and really hope to make a real dent at this problem that we are facing, uh, which is truly threatening the whole planet, humanity, and all future generations. So the clock is ticking, the clock is ticking. According to the United Nations, we really only have 10 years left to hopefully contain climate change. Otherwise, we will be past the point of no return. So the next big thing for me is really the next big thing for the whole planet is how do we make the best effort, use the best effort to hopefully contain this problem. To solve it, to be, not to be pessimistic, but to solve it completely, I mean, we have created too much damage. Sure. Um, that, I mean, to just undo that damage, not likely. But can we at least contain the damage? Can we make sure that it doesn't get worse from here? Um, that's what we need to work towards. Absolutely. Um, before I ask the last question, the, only, the comment I wanted to make is during this COVID pandemic, it's probably the first time that we've seen so clear skies, yes. right? The I know. Hong blue yeah. is beautiful. And I'm sure this is happening all across the globe. Yeah. We can actually see that it is possible. Right. So it's just a matter of, can we shift our behavior and the mindset right. to make such a thing happen? So um, obviously after this, we want to take it offline to see how we can yeah. help and join the, right. the, the initiative and the vision. So we're, you know, we're also humbled that you know, we can work together. So David Young, anything is possible is about sharing positivity, mm. overcoming challenges, creating one world together. Our last question always is, David Young, what is the number one advice you would share with our younger audience? The number one advice, uh, believe in yourself. Work on something that you are genuinely passionate about. Um, always remember that setbacks and failures is okay. You may be failing at a certain task, but you as a person is not a failure. In fact, as long as you learn from it, it is the best jump that you can make in life. So now seize the opportunity. There are plenty of things that uh, the world needs us to address and solve. Maximize and use that opportunity. David, thank you very much. Um, we finished the interview. Now we're going to enjoy these little <laughs> babies. Okay? Yes, thank vegan muffin. Time. They're okay. really, really good. Okay. Thank you, David.